Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's a podcast that takes a look at the news of the day. We try to have thoughtful conversation. So joining me today, our friend Seth Liebson. He's host of the Seth Liebson Show, heard daily on KKNT 960 AM in Phoenix. You can hear him online at 960thepatriot.com. Let's take a look back. Like it or not, Seth, what kind of year was it? Gosh, you know, it, it, <laughs> it seems like for the last few years, everyone's saying, I can't wait for this year to end or the new one to come in. Started what, about 2020? Didn't we start saying that? Can't wait for 2021. Can't wait for 2022. A lot of people first, are saying can't wait for 2023, but um, it doesn't first, seem to be getting better, does it? First of great observations by Seth Leibson. Now you're right. People have been saying that for 20, 21, 22, now yeah. 23. Yeah, no, it isn't getting better. Let's let's go through it. I mean, we'll 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 find some bright spots, but let's go through. What was the worst of the year? Let's let's do deal, deal with the worst and get happier as we go along, or relatively happier. Great question. Uh, the worst of the year probably uh, would have been the disappointment from the elections in November, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people would uh, argue. I certainly would that if we are going to start turning around and being uh, more optimistic about things to come, fixing the country, maybe even fixing the world and its problems, it would have been um, it would have been with Republican political leadership. We'll have some, but it's going to be a lot more anemic than a lot of us expected. I think a lot of our optimism was tied to a uh, to a resurgent uh, Republican leadership politically. Um, look, I think if this country is, if the West is going to be saved, my old friend, Harry Jaffa, my old teacher, your old friend, Harry Jaffa used to say, if the West is going to be saved, if the salvation of the West is to come, it will come from the United States. If the salvation of the United States is to come, it'll come from the Republican party. If the salvation of the Republican party is to come, it'll come from the conservative movement within it. And, uh, I, I think there's great truth in that. And I, I don't think we're there yet. Not close. And I think things are getting worse as a result. I'm going to comment as I can on each of the things you mentioned. I agree with you. It was interesting. I was thinking um, before you came on what I would say, and I would have gone to the same place, the election of, in November, uh, despite the fact that, you know, I'm, you know, people would say, well, let's talk about let's talk about fentanyl. Let's talk about yeah. other things. And we and we will in this conversation. But I agree because I have to say and I'm not trying to pump my own book here. America, the last best hope and consistent with what you're saying about Harry Jaffa. I'm thinking about Lincoln's phrase, we shall you know, nobly save or meanly lose this last best hope of Earth. You know, what Lincoln was talking about was the best hope of Earth being the United States, uh, not just, you know, to win the Civil War for uh, the cause of equality and an end of slavery, but that uh, the world was watching. And that if we uh, messed up on this stage, on this, in this, those series of events, the world would suffer. Uh, and because uh, we were the last best hope. And I guess all I'm saying is still true. Uh, yeah. And what Jeff put, says is still true. Go ahead. No, let me put the lid on that can, which is and those other items that you mentioned, whether it was drug overdoses, we can do others. All of those are failures of politics. They are political failures. And when Lincoln said what Lincoln said, and you're right, and I love that you titled your book after that, it wasn't um it wasn't it wasn't about because his Republican Party was what uh, was the most important thing. It was that his Republican Party was a party that rested on uh, the, the founding ethics of this country, the founding documents of this country and our commitment to liberty and equality. 
And the war was about a departure from that. And I believe we're in that war right now. Some kind of, I don't know, it's not hot, but there is some kind of cold civil war. Uh, you've spent your entire career in, in our nation's schools, elementary through college and university and graduate. And um, if we can appreciate uh, that, uh, if we can appreciate the notion that we, we have to redound to our founding principles, uh, the left understands that, too, which is why they have been on a decades long attack against them, which is where we are, where we are, why we are where we are. Yeah, let's let's explore this one a little further before we go on to other things. What explains the indifferent turnout? Um, I, I'm indifferent, maybe the wrong adjective, but, you know, it wasn't a, a red wave, it wasn't a tsunami, it was barely a trickle stream. It looks like we're going to lose one of those Republicans who was lying like a son of a gun to, uh, you know, his resume to uh, to get into office. Uh, what, what happened? The reason I ask it is it seemed it was all primed to go red to satisfaction with Biden. I mean, you can't have a president in the high 30s or low 40s uh, and, in a, you know, in an in 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 off-year election. Uh, his party do well. What happened and why? Do you have any idea? A few thoughts and theories. Um, I'll be guided by you on this, starting with the quote you like, which is, uh, and I, I don't remember who, who said it. I know it's not Oscar Wilde. Maybe it's Chesterton that you can't become a saint through someone else's sins. So Biden's failures weren't enough. Biden's failures weren't enough to propel uh, the sanctification of our politics uh, through the Republican Party. I think that's one issue. I think the other issue is we have to come to grips with uh, how much more left wing this country has become over the past several decades through our culture and our teachings and our schools. And then I think the third thing is... We, are we a center-left country? Don't know. Don't know. I'm tilting okay. that way. I've, I've thought it. Okay. People tell me we're not, but I, I think we're tilting that way. And then the third thing is, credit another Claremont scholar, Charles Kessler, there was a red wave, just that it took place in Florida. And we have to um, look at what, what that amazing governor, DeSantis, did there in four years going from winning by 2% to winning by over 20. And he did so by speaking strongly on the issues that matter most, uh, the issues that matter most, and he didn't shrink from them. I look at some of the candidacies I was watching. A lot of these candidates on our side, they didn't want to talk about the major issues. Um, we talked last time about these wonderful women running for school board here in Arizona uh, on the issues of, you know, uh, the sanctity of kids' brains, uh, the health of their bodies, um, the sanctity of them having um, not 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 being taught weird, queer, gender, transgender ideology and racialization and masking and vaccination mandates. And they outran, they outpolled by uh, by the other statewide candidates, 13 percent in places like Scottsdale. Um, so, you know, I think when people talked about the issues that matter most to parents and grandparents, the culture, they did pretty good. Those that kind of trimmed and ran away from them and uh, dismissed them and wanted to speak exclusively on issues of the economy or Joe Biden or 2020, um, you know, something that happened two years ago. 
they didn't do as well. And that's my working but, thesis anyway. Yes, yes. Uh, by the way, in Florida, uh, appreciate even a great, greater appreciation of that win. Uh, he did that uh, 20% over. Was it, I didn't think it was even 2% that he beat Gillum. Yeah, you might be right about that. But, uh, you know, d- darn lucky. That guy was then later arrested. Democrat went in the oh, yeah, hotel right. room with <laughs> cocaine and other, yeah. couple of yeah. other guys, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but not, not only did Santa's win by 20%, did that with a bunch of Yankees coming down to Florida, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's you know, the, this whole notion that these the blue state exodus would, you know, would change the political composition. Well, they they know what they were coming for, and they were coming yeah. for a new kind of governance as well. Um, okay, well, that's that. I mean, that is an interesting notion, but but square this because the the ideology you're talking about, which was uh, ascendant and and triumphant at the polls at the, at the local level, was you know closer to what the Trump ideology was, was it not? But the Trump candidates didn't do so well, at least at the at the state level. Well, I don't know. I you know. Okay, I go ahead. Am I wrong the, about I that? I, no, that's I the conventional I, wisdom. Well, I, I, I think it depends on what we talk about as the Trump ideology. I think some candidates got it and some got it differently. I think it's almost a vessel you can pour anything you want into and call it Trumpism as long as you say you're for Trump uh-huh. uh, in a way. What, what exactly are we talking about? If we're talking about making America great again and yes. in the uh-huh. country and yes. protecting our kids and traditional values. I just assume call it, you know, traditional conservatism or Reaganism. Um, if okay. we're talking about the frauds or the irregularities of 2020, that's something again, right? That's something different. Fair enough. I don't, I think the candidates mattered, um, but I think what they talked about mattered. Let's talk about one big win, one big good thing that is being forgotten this past year which is the pro-life movement having worked for 30 plus years to overturn Roe versus Wade, which everyone thought an impossibility and son of a gun, they did it. And yeah, they did. And the moment they did it, Republicans ran away from it. Take Blake Masters, the Senate candidate in Arizona. Uh, once he won the primary, um, which he ran on as a very strong pro-life candidate, um, he changed his pro-life message for the general. Um, you know, as I say, if you're going to if you're going to trim, I think you're going to lose people, um, people. Uh, what did Churchill say? It's awfully hard to look up to someone when you have your ear to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. OK. Uh, but, uh, there was also a mechanical thing here. Right. The Democrats were better at this game. Uh, let's take another state, Pennsylvania, that elected this this guy to be senator. Amazing. Uh, isn't it true that when um, uh, Dr. Oz, uh, you know, voted on Election Day, he was already three or four hundred thousand votes behind uh, because of the hustle of the Democrats in terms of, uh, you know, turning out voters, ringing at doorbells and so on. Don't they play the game better than Republicans? Isn't that one of the reasons we didn't have a big red wave? Yeah. Yes. I, th- I think you're right about that. I think I think you're right about that. But I think you're not enthusiastic. Rudyard... Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But how does that Rudyard Kipling if poem line go uh, trap uh, built by knaves led for fools? You know, the Democrats certainly have that ground game down pat. But, you know, Republicans did a pretty bad job of immolating themselves by telling everyone not to use the mail. 
not to vote early like the Democrats. Uh, That was particularly problematic here in Arizona. And so by the time Election Day came, yes, yes, the Republicans were just showing up when the Democrats had shown up. Let me me, there was a lot of that. Let let me give you another state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our friend, our mutual friend, Adam Laxalt. Yeah. uh, In Nevada. Yeah. Uh, I talked to him on the phone. You talk to him. I know regularly. He's very good friend of Ron DeSantis, too. Right. They were roommates in the Navy. Yeah. Um, He said, look, you know, uh, they had the union workers, the Democrats, 10 or 20,000 people on the ground. And we don't have any such organized unit like that. Well, we tell ourselves we do is my only argument against that um, or my only asterisk on that point. We tell ourselves we do. We tell ourselves we have these fantastic, huge organizations that have these huge galas and huge events. Uh, we certainly have, uh, you know, uh, the, the churches and religious communities uh, that the left doesn't have. Um, so we have these uh, auxiliary institutions or at least we tell ourselves we do, I would imagine they are at their best as strong or more strong, maybe even more committed than the unions. So, uh, you know, you know, think of Ralph Reed, think of Tony Perkins. Yeah. What power in this, what force of power would you rather have in this country? The force and power of strong unions or the force and power of strong churches and religious organizations and youth movements uh, built on um, conservative creeds. So I, I, I don't know if they didn't show up, but I'll tell you this, too. And, you know, again, more here than Nevada. I'm kind of tired of every time we lose it being someone else's fault. Yeah. OK, good. I, All right. I don't think Fine. our party no, does no. a good job of candidate recruitment at the state level. Um, there are you and I, everyone in this audience knows five, six, seven people who we would say, gosh, why don't you run? And they'll say, oh, my gosh, no. Or, you know, so-and-so would be a great candidate. Well, these state parties never look for these people, never recruit them, particularly in the Republican Party. The Democrats do it. They're pretty good at this. They recruit their candidates. You don't see a lot of Democrat primary uh, fights. You see a lot of Republican primary fights. They rally around who they need and want and go with it. We don't. We we let it fight out. The state parties say it's not our business to get involved. All right, you anticipated my next question. Let's just turn it into an affirmative. What are the lessons the Republican Party should learn for the next go-round? One, I take it from what you just said, said earlier, um, encourage people to do, use mail-in ballots, correct? Well, or at least not countermand and build uh, doubt around the method that everyone else is going to use so that we flood the system in the zone um, uh, in a way that is detrimental to us. Um, Arizona has never really had mail-in problems. We've been doing it for 20 some odd years and, uh, and, and yet the conspiracy theories around them, uh, led to a lot of the problems that we had on election day. Uh, the system was, uh, the, the system was flooded and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> uh I'm just going through a catalog of your quotes, Bill, John Stuart Mill, right? right. Uh, any system will work ill if you assume or attach universal idiocy to it. I mean, humans are, are, are you know, are fallible and, and systems break down when they're flooding a zone. Look at our airports <laughs> this week. But, um, but, but certainly that's, that's one thing. I think candidate recruitment, candidate training is, is an, is another, um, and I think probably we have to get beyond thinking that uh, that 
you know, what people or most people care about is what happened two years ago rather than two years from now. Is there a lot what of that? What kind of country do we want to be? Not what kind of country were we? I think there was a lot of that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It was the, it was the test. I'm a little upset about this, but it was the test for Donald Trump's endorsement. How strongly do you think he actually was the legitimate winner of 2020? That was the singular test. And once you got his endorsement, if you trimmed from that, he called you and said, get back on message. The message is, I am the winner of 2020. This happened to a lot of candidates. They got those midnight calls from Donald Trump when he watched them debate. It just... I. I, I think I think as someone who was very supportive of Donald Trump, I have to say he's no longer what he once was for our party or movement. I, I think he's become more toxic than helpful now. I just well, I agree. And I don't think he can win the general election. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I am one who believes that 2020 was uh, invalid. I believe it was stolen. I mean, even even The Washington Post says it was a matter of 40, what, 42,000 votes. Uh, and he had all this stuff going on, all this mail stuff. It doesn't take a lot of fraud in a big country like that to make 42,000 votes. Yeah, At the same yeah. time, I'm not one who would have made a lot out of it if I were running. I think you could have, uh, or, or better candidates could have, on the issue that was much more, uh, much more evidence-based. And that was the censorship that was engaged on the Hunter Biden story and social media. Mm -hmm. Um, McLaughlin and associates did some exit polling and found that um, Mm -hmm. of those Biden voters who did not hear of that story, um, something like six to 10 percent of them in the battleground states would not have voted for Joe Biden. It would have made all the difference in the world. Now, that wasn't fraud, but that was censorship. That was uh, big tech collusion with elements of uh, rogue elements of the government. And that did change the election of that. I have no doubt. Not enough candidates wanted to go there. They rather would go with the thing that was impossible. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that eight to 10 percent. Oh, yeah. We would have voted differently. Eh, Maybe, maybe not. But 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 your but the point remains the point remains valid. Um, let's move on. Um, you know, you mentioned the Hunter Biden thing. To me, I you know, I, I, to me the worst the worst thing. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not the worst thing, but the thing that I wake up every morning and just shake my head is the border. I just it's hard to believe we're allowing this to happen. You know, what was it three or four million people uh, that this year or last year you know crossed in who have no business being here? I mean, this is outrageous, isn't it? Isn't this simply a surrender of the country and, a, and, a, and its sovereignty, if not an invasion? Yes, it absolutely is. It's one of, you know, three or four terrible outrages that are so great, um, it's, it's hard to understand. But it does kind of underscore or highlight the nature of your earlier question, liberal left country. How can so many people not care about it? How can so many people uh, live with it and accept it? And it begs the question of how many of them actually want it. Um, You know, how many of them actually agree with this? Joe Biden invited. Oh, I, I, let let me interrupt because I thought you were going to say how many actually know the scale of it. There was that interesting poll that showed, you know, how few Americans really understood the scale of this thing. 
uh, right? You saw. Yeah, that. I think it's the toxic confluence of two things. Some, a, a lot of the country mm-hmm. doesn't know, and uh, and of those who do know, half the country thinks it's just fine because they don't think very much of this country. They because they what? Because they don't think very much of this country. Oh, I see. Yeah. I I, I mean, I what I the really hell? It think, doesn't matter. This yeah, land I is really, your land. I really, I mean, well, this yes, land is why your land. I, this land is my land. It's your land as well as mine. Come ahead. 1776 wow. doesn't matter. 1619 matters. Um, why, you know, why are they offended by the notion of making this country great again? Why is that a buzzword? Why is that not accepted no. by every every uh, lisping babe and, and, and heart palpitating uh, American in the country? I don't yeah. I think there is a uh, down market view of, of, of this country in large swaths of it. And so they don't care. New York gave voting rights. New York gave voting rights to non-citizens. Now, the court yeah. struck it down, but that's the ethos in a large parts of this large parts of this land we call America. All right, let's keep going. I'm getting a little sick here listening uh, to me and to you. Well, you, want a, you want a story that says a lot to me and, and to you? Uh, please. Uh, can, I get, can I take 30 seconds? Absolutely. Uh, having mentioned 1619, it was created by a woman at the New York Times named, named Nicole Hannah-Jones, African-American woman, right, right, journalism right, professor. Right. Her dad is a U.S. Army veteran who flew the American flag outside of his house every day and by law and took exquisite care of it. She comes home from school one day in the eighth grade and says that flag should mean nothing to us. We shouldn't be flying that flag. And he takes it down. Now, he's an African-American veteran in the U.S. Army at a time, no question whether there would have been more racism in America than when she was in eighth grade. And she learns in school that he's wrong. I think that's emblematic of where we are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's a bad place to be. The other outrage, the one that really outrages me, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the Hunter Biden thing, hiding that was a serious thing. For some reason, that doesn't get my, my dad or going on my heart. Uh, he'd be heart racing or, or, or feeling heavy, heavy hearted. But the FBI and Twitter, I mean, my God, really? I mean, is this where we are? The FBI is telling Twitter what stories to run. I mean, I, I'm simplifying, but basically that was what it was doing, wasn't it? Yeah, I, more than that, uh, even um, it was uh, it was grooming Twitter. The FBI was grooming Twitter executives for months in advance of the Hunter Biden laptop story to kill the story. It was paying them millions of dollars for their time in censoring these stories. Um, it was flagging specific Twitter accounts to be um, shadow banned and banned uh, merely by virtue of them being conservative or, 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 or supportive of, of Republican and conservative causes. And you and I are old enough to remember that we thought all this nonsense, I'd like to use a stronger word, ended after the church hearings in 1975, and they yeah. didn't. Now, yeah. the problem that I do have in thinking about the part of it that you, you, you kind of say is, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to wrap your head around or hands around. The part of it that, that does bother me so much is that the media, once upon a time, this was, they, they, this was their job was to investigate the government. Yeah. Yeah, the First happened, Amendment yeah. was yeah. we we read the Pentagon Papers case. We studied the Pentagon Papers case and 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 the and the First Amendment was designed 
so that journalists would censure the government, not censor Americans. And and that's a total collapse and reversal of their mission. And it's hard to have a hard to have a free country when the free press has uh, has also uh, stuck a knife in, in its own chest I for political think, purposes. I often I often think could could Peter Ducey stand up just before, you know, the press conference, the president say, don't any of you have any interest in, in these things? You guys, the New York Times, you guys, the Washington Post, you guys who broke Watergate scandal. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's remarkable. That is unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, this kind so. of collude, this kind of yeah. collusion yeah. of the so. of the government agency and the silence of the media. Yeah. Uh, and and complicity in the media going um, going along with the silencing of fellow members of the media. Let's continue our dark journey here. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know we're a little more upbeat usually. I know. Yeah, I know. no. Well, I keep trying to be downbeat, but uh, there's something about me anyway that I, I, I got to wake up happier than uh, I tend to. Uh, Seth, the uh, something I guess probably when you and I talk off air, we probably talk more about fentanyl and the drug stuff uh, than anything else. Uh, we know this is partly a problem of the border and the stuff coming in and in, in droves and being sold on the street and often disguised as what as painkillers as uh, a Vicodin or, or Percocet yeah. uh, and young people taking it and dying. Yeah. Life expectancy is uh, now down in the United States because of this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, combine this with what our friend Nick Eberstadt is writing about men, uh, 25 to 55, able-bodied, uh, not looking for work, living on government subsistence, and a lot of them you know, using drugs and probably some of them using, getting some of this fentanyl. How bad is this? This is really bad, isn't it? It's awful. When you were the drug czar, this country was losing about 10,000 Americans a year to drug overdose. And the country's population was 250 million. Today, we're 333 million and we're losing 170 thousand americans a year to overdose so while the country grew or, or uh, by a third overdose poisoning deaths grew by a thousand percent that's the scale and no one seems to give two no one seems to give two cents about it it's a real problem it's 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 such a big problem that i don't think people can wrap their heads around it like all the other big problems we have. Right. And, and if you were to do a poll of people, how many you know, people die a year of fentanyl? It would, it would come out less than 100,000, you see? Yeah, they wouldn't know. They didn't, wouldn't know we're losing 300, people, uh, 300 Americans a day to this stuff. That's and, not an overdose, right? It's a dose. Yeah, which is kind of an interesting take. People think they're getting Vicodin or they think they're getting oxycodone. And they're dying from fentanyl. Well, why the hell are they taking oxycodone at a party? Well, I know. Why the hell are they dying an opioid from a friend? No, and I'm saying to the parents, and I want to be sympathetic, but they say, you know, he was just trying to get some, you know, uh, you know, some oxycodone on the street. Yeah. Why why? the hell was he doing that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have organizations called health departments in places like (sighs) New York and San Francisco that are putting up billboards and ads uh, raising a white flag of surrender, saying, if you're going to use, use safely. If you're going to use, start slow. If you're going to use, use with a friend. Oh, my God. And if, and if you're going to use, uh, have Narcon can uh, handy. But as our friend David Murray has pointed out, the, 
that Narcan may be of limited effectiveness and certainly of limited effectiveness over time with the repetitive use or taking uh, of fentanyl. All of that, but I think your point is even stronger, which is, um, you know, here's here's a street we're walking down. Over on the left is the Viper Pit. Um, if you're going to go into the Viper Pit, uh, take take the anti-venom with you. How about someone going around and killing the damn vipers and another one saying, do not enter? How about that? Yeah, yeah. Do not enter at all. Mm-hmm. Don't go down this path. Yeah. I want to look at the future in terms of what might be done, what might be hoped for, but I don't want to get through that until we look at, take a look at foreign policy. Do you think that if he swallowed uh, Ukraine whole, Putin, that he'd then go to Poland or some other place like that? Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, okay. I, right. and, and I don't know how we would look ourselves in the face and saying that that's okay. Yeah. And this is, uh, I mean, he's emboldened by, by this. It's not exactly clear what our strategy is, except to give this money. But I don't know what's going to happen. And I do think it's possible we this could end up in World War Three. Yeah, I do, too. Okay. I do too. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's very, very, very tender over there. More possible than the, than World War III being with China's invasion of Taiwan, which is not going to happen anytime soon. Doesn't seem to me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, of course I people, don't know. Smart, of course well, I don't know. Well, either. I guess what I get, you have smarter friends than me on this. <laughs> Ryan Kennedy would be much smarter on this. Brandon Weicker would be much smarter on this than I am. But, you know, go back to Montesquieu, the loss of one battle. I think what what Afghanistan signaled was uh, American irresoluteness when it comes to um, the message we sent to China, the message we might have sent to the mullahs of Iran and certainly to Putin. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's let's now step back or step forward. Um, So any grounds of optimism? Um, How about uh, Lear says it's not the worst as long as you can say it's this is the worst. So we're still breathing. We're still alive. Conservatism still has a lot of adherence. I agree with Jaffa. How much depends on that? The South in America does seem to me to be a pretty solid place repository of, of values. Uh, and Florida has just become a really, a, truly a Southern state, uh, behaving politically now like it were Arkansas, if, if you will. Now, Floridians may not like that comparison, but so what? That's what I think. Um, I mean, I, you know, people make fun of South Carolina, you know, where, where our, our great mutual friend lives, John Cribb. But, you know, when you, when you think about what the values of South Carolina or Texas, um, it's pretty solid stuff. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope that's right. You're worried about I, slippage everywhere, aren't you? Well, look at Arizona. I mean, I, I, I stay with me here. Uh, Arizona has changed for the worst, correct? Correct. Texas has changed for the worst a little bit, but it's still Texas. Agree? Yeah. Yeah. Florida has totally changed. Not totally, but I mean, there's been a transformation of Florida from what, a purple state? If not blue, blue, purple, purple, blue, I don't know, to a, to a red state. Yeah. C- correct? Yeah. South Carolina has not moved. Go ahead. I, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's great that we have Florida. I think it's great that we have Texas. Texas is slipping. Which direction are we going? Uh, Colorado. Okay, Florida's going the right direction. Florida's going the right direction. Texas is probably going somewhat in the wrong direction. Yeah. South Carolina, like the guy in the driver's seat, you know, that story. I ain't moved, you know. Uh, I don't think it's moved. 
um, California is gone, right? Right. California, which was our, which was our Florida, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just saying that these things do slip. Uh, 10 years no. ago, Arizona was rock red. 10 years ago, the gr- strongest Republican governor in the country was in Colorado. Uh, this, so are you talking this, about Bill Owens? Yeah. I, and, mm-hmm. and, and these are now, these are now liberal left states. Um, Arizona's not left. Colorado is Arizona's liberal though. And, um, and, and this just didn't used to be Florida is, is, is the, is the great star on our flag. Because, because it's one. moved, because it's moved, it's moved for the better. Not only has it moved, but its leadership is probably the best in the country. All right. So what do we learn and where do we go? Follow the DeSantis lead, follow the Florida lead, follow the lodestar that is Florida. Yeah, I think so. Short answer is yes, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, anyone who thinks that uh, DeSantis shouldn't be or couldn't be the future leader of our party uh, needs to do some serious self-examination. And and I think that it is everyone's duty to push and push really hard because I just don't see a lot of other great winning leadership, um, smart winning leadership. I just think he is that good. Let's talk politics again and for a minute, because I agree with you about him totally. But I think we're going to have about seven or eight people running for president on the Republican side, which might put Donald Trump right back in. Yeah. They, they, they are fooling themselves and they are harming the nation to the degree that they think they can get or should be doing this. Who do That's we think view. will be running? I mean, I think Mike Pompeo is running and he's a worthy guy, great guy. Uh, I think that um, Ron DeSantis will be running and I hope he's the candidate. I think Nikki Haley will probably run. I think what's his name from Arkansas, uh, governor of Arkansas or Asa Hutchison. I think yeah. he's going to run. Mike Pence I, is probably running. Mike Pence is running. I think Glenn Youngkin, who's impressive, uh, could be running. Uh, there you go. That's what we aim. Six, seven people, eight people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I, I think it's and I think Donald, I mean, obviously, the only announced candidate also is Donald Trump is running. Okay. And I think that um, I think that they're deluding themselves. I think they're they may be they may be putting um, their own or their their own interests above that of the country. I, I just I don't think I don't think right. that if the future of this country is as important to them as it is to most people, they should be fooling around with these candidacies that will diminish Ron DeSantis's chances. OK. All right. Happy New Year is coming. Yes, uh, I, know. I know. So 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 uh, give me some reasons to be happy. We still live in the greatest country in the world. Even as 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 diminished as as things have become, there's nowhere I'd rather live. Um, how, about hung, how about Hungary? All right, go ahead. Yeah, I, I I'd still rather live here. Yeah, me um, too. I, we have the potential to make this place great again. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, um, but the institutions um, will allow us to do it if we are serious about the. Uh, serious about the prospects and serious about the stakes. Um, there's no other place I'd rather be. It's just sad to watch such a great palace uh, be diminished uh, the way it has been. That's all. My optimism is that uh, people do seem to see it right. Uh, the voting was was wrong, partly because of the party and its lack of hustle and its uh, it's it's the things you talked about, candidate selection. Uh, and and candidate cowardice on a lot of points, and the party, you know, not hustling as well as the Democrat Party. 
But the people do seem to, I mean, the opinion polls about where's the country going, what do you think of Biden, there's some ground of optimism. I think there still could be a red wave in 24 if we do it right. That's one. Two, I, am, am I exaggerating Loudoun County? I think that this interest of parents and the education of their children is a big deal because I think one of the reasons that we've moved backwards is we've stopped teaching uh, what America is and is about. And so, you know, uh, kids take in the worst that's said about the country. And a lot of it is on the media and in in the classrooms. I'm heartened by par- parent interest. You, you remember, you've been generous in recalling that I, when I was touring as secretary of education, uh, people would say, what should we do? And I would say, run for the school board. And they'd laugh as if that were nothing. But now people realize it is something. It really matters who's on that school board. So I'm encouraged by this parental interest. It's one of the things I think that is that is quite good. Uh, other than that, I can't think of a whole lot of grounds uh, for optimism except uh, Florida. But that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. It's a huge Sadly. deal. And I apologize for my pessimism. But I think I think um, I think COVID did a number on this country. And I think it did a number on the work ethic in your book of virtues. Uh, You have a chapter dedicated to the importance mm -hmm. of work. Um, I think it did a number on our mental state of mental health. I think I think it did a number on our uh, children's and youth mental health. I was just going to say that, especially our kids' mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And and I think. I, I almost hate to be more pessimistic on one more front, but I, I you know, can I raise it? And you decide whether to hate me or not. Well, and well this is the op- optimism part of the yeah, discussion. Yeah, this is the optimism chapter go ahead, right, go of, ahead. of the interview. I think COVID did such a number on all these things. Um, you know, uh, members of the audience ask themselves next time they go into a storefront or a doctor's office or anywhere where there's someone behind the counter, is service uh, the way it used to be? Are people more interested in what they're doing or what you're there for? Is the Southwest airline breakdown a template uh, for everything else where we're just going to have to start embracing a certain suckiness here? I'm really worried about that. I'm really worried about it because I see it in small scales here and there and everywhere. I'm very worried about the work ethic. I'm very worried about the state of our mental health. I'm very worried about our ability to communicate with one another. I'm very worried about temperaments. I'm very worried about the drug issue. I'm very worried about all these things that um, that seem to be leading to one one big diminution of uh, how great this country once was not that long ago. Well, I'm also glad that you're there, or at least I was before this conversation. <laughs> I know what you mean. No, I no, know I'm, what you mean. No, I know I'm what you kidding. Mean. I'm kidding. I know what you mean. No, I know. I, no, yeah, I know. We need um, more Jack Kemp's, you know? Yeah, that cheerfulness and that optimism. Well, we'll see. I mean, it is America. Um, have we been in a worse place before? You always say, and I think you're right to say it, that 68 right. was worse. Yeah, I think 68 probably was worse. No, I don't think so um, anymore. No, I think you, it's worse now. Really? Okay, that's yeah, interesting. That's interesting. I, I was talking to our friend Steve Hayward yesterday. And, Steve Hayward, um, great Steve Hayward, yeah. The great Steve Hayward, he's an optimist, and he was talking about how bad things were in 78 and 79 and uh, what great leadership could do to turn that around in two years. Um, and, and that's something to think about um, as well. Yeah, that was Carter, right? We were losing mm-hmm. all those countries to communism. And- 
10 countries fall to communism and the economy is, is awful. And, and Malays worse. and all that, yeah. Americans are taken hostage abroad. Yeah, yeah it was awful. And, and, and the Republican Party might have been in worse odor then after a while. Well, it was. It was, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, the, what a great optimistic leader can do for this country um, was to quote Bill Bennett. The, uh, the theoretical was uh, proven by the actual yeah. Ronald Reagan and Ron yeah, DeSantis yeah. might be our new Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But, yeah. Mrs. Bennett and I were looking past Trump and, you know, we were Trump supporters, and you know, big time. And, uh, you know, for his election and I think he ran a pretty good country, but he's I think he's now toxic. I agree with you. But we were just the other night looking back to Reagan saying, you know, Let's, let's not forget that time. Uh, our time uh, with him was especially good, you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, like I had dinner with Frank Sinatra. Uh, <laughs> but, and Tom Selleck. I mean, this was a better America, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Much better yeah, America. Yeah. yeah. Did, did I have dinner with Tom Selleck? No. Oh, no. I had lunch with Tom Selleck. I'll take it in California, in California. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. But I'll, we I'll uh, have one day of your meals to be happy. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, Seth, thank Bre- you very much. Breakfast uh, with Lisa Gibbons, lunch with Tom Selleck, dinner with Frank Sinatra. That's a pretty oh, good day. Uh, Lisa For Gibbons, those of us actually, that have three meals a day. We didn't. Oh, gosh, that's another story. We didn't really have breakfast with Lisa Gibbons. She was at the next table. But she said hello. South Carolina girl. I was was at breakfast with Lisa Gibbons. Uh, (laughs) Is that the no, no, no more than we were at breakfast with uh, who was the woman at the diner in New York. Oh, Um, yeah. Right, 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 right. What's her name? Was it Diane uh, something? Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And I missed it because I was looking at my breakfast and you said yeah, you just yeah. missed Diane Lane. Yeah. The eggs yeah. were more important at that point. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year, Seth. Happy New oh, Year. Oh, gosh. You guys, too. I love you all. You're I'm a dear friend. You're, you're a dear are. friend. You got a growing audience, right? I sure hope so. After this, we'll see. <laughs> no, you do. You do. You do. No, that's my audience. But you do, don't you? You do, don't you? We're doing, we're doing fine. I think, yeah, I think this yeah. is right. I am the longest... Uh, longest uh, continuous conservative radio host in Phoenix, right? Now. Nice. That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you, you got me started in it and you gave it to me. So I owe it to you. Thank you. Well, you've, I owe a lot to you. And that's enough of that. And we have a, I have a baby granddaughter. Oh, amazing. So amazing. Stella Carolina Bennett. Not Carolina. Carolina. There you go. Love it. How about that? Huh? Yeah. Okay. Hails right, California, heads Carolina. Beautiful. Love you guys. Oh, Happy yeah. New Thank Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Thank you.